When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Hey everyone, Scott McLaughlin here. We have a full episode with me, Bridget, hey, and Brian just coming me? up. Bridget is here, yeah. I'm, I was just about to say that. You cut off my intro, Bridget. What, I what should a, be right in the front. What an incredible start. All right. <laughs> Bridget's here. Bridget, 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 Bridget. Um, yeah, so we have the full episode that you'll hear right after this. But uh, shortly after we finish recording, the Bruins announced that they've sent Mason Lori to Providence, which you'll hear us during the episode say that we basically expected this, thought it was coming, kind of thought Don Sweeney tipped his hand a little bit Monday at Media Day anyways. So not surprising, but we did want to touch on it and just give a, a quick reaction since it's now official. Uh, Bridget, I don't know about you, but I don't, I, I say this later on in this podcast as well, but I don't see any harm in sending him to Providence to start the year. He's going to play a lot of minutes there. He's going to play in all situations. Let's not forget that he's only had eight AHL games so far. Um, you know, he, played five regular season games and three playoff games down in Providence last spring after Ohio state season ended. So that, and then this training camp and preseason, like that's the entirety of Mason Lori's pro experience to this point. Um, he looked great in camp. This isn't about, you know, anyone beating him out necessarily. It's about what's best for his development. And obviously the Bruins have, determine that at least to start the year, this is what they think is best. And I don't really think it's worth getting up in arms about because the Bruins do have a strong decor anyways, and he's probably going to be first in line. If there's any injuries or anyone struggles or anything happens. Yeah. Um, so like, like you mentioned, I, uh, you will hear the rest of the podcast later. Where we were like, okay, it makes sense. We So it makes sense that because he doesn't have to clear waivers, he can go down and they were carrying two extra defensemen going into today. They had Ian Mitchell as well as Mason Lori, and they needed to get down to just one extra defenseman because they also wanted one extra forward. And we assume the corresponding move will be to sign Dan Heinen, who was the only other forward um, left that they needed to make the decision on. So it makes sense that they they didn't really need to carry two extra defensemen. They decide to keep Ian Mitchell because he doesn't have to clear waivers. He had a decent preseason as well, though I'm not sure I would categorize it as better than Mason Lori's preseason. In fact, in practice today, I also noticed him make some mistakes, but um, it's it's not like Patra, right? It's not like you send you have to send him down and, and uh, you can't bring him right back up. It's going to be fairly 
uh, simple to bring him back up if someone gets injured or if say all of a sudden you're a few games in, or, you know, you're 10, 12, 15 games in, or even more than that. And you're thinking, uh, maybe, maybe this was the wrong decision. Maybe Ian Mitchell wasn't the right guy to put there, or maybe, you know, forward or whomever, uh, you decide has fallen further in your depth chart or gotten injured. You can bring him right up. And I don't see an issue with him getting more time in Providence. Of the three rookies that were looking like they might make the team, I think Patra and Beecher would be served more by being in Boston than they would by being in their respective uh, teams, which, which they played at the end of last season. So um, I do think Mason Laurie has the most to gain from spending time in the AHL and working on things because he wasn't like he wasn't bad, but he, he definitely wasn't polished either. So he could work on his defending. Um, and it's kind of no harm, no foul though. We do all three of us will speak for Brian, even though he's not here, think that he did enough really to make the team. This more has to do with a numbers thing. And, uh, kind of a toss up like maybe he didn't do he just barely didn't do enough to seal that spot over Ian Mitchell yeah I don't even I don't even know if that I would call it a numbers thing necessarily because I I think that this decision comes down entirely to Mason Lori and what they think is best for him and I think if they truly believed he was ready for the NHL and ready to play every night he would be on the team and playing. Um, I think they believe he just legitimately needs more seasoning in Providence. Um, yeah, like you mentioned Potter and Beecher. Obviously, Potter can't even go to the AHL. It's not an option for him. Beecher already had a full season in the AHL compared to just the eight games for Lori. And, of course, there was more of a need there. There were more openings up front. So, you know, there's just there's more opportunity for those guys to win jobs. and to their credit, they did. And let's not to say that Laura didn't do enough to win a job or whatever. It's just when you have a pretty well-established top six of McAvoy, Grizzlick, Lindholm, Carlo, Forbert, Shattenkirk, you feel pretty good about that. And, you know, again, maybe 15, 20 games from now, you don't feel good about that. And you decide it's Laura time and that's just fine. You know, if he's been playing well in Providence, and has earned that, then, then great. You can make the move then, um, you know, Lori wasn't going to be the seventh defenseman. If he was on the team, he was going to be playing every day it, there. It would not be good for his development for him to sit on the bench and play one out of every four or five games. Like that's, that was never ever going to be in the card. So it was either you make the top six and you play every night in Boston, or he goes to Providence for now. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives them space because we were wondering if they were going to wait to sign Dan Heinen, which as of recording right now on Monday night, they haven't technically signed him. He was in Boston on a PT. You're going to jinx us again, Bridget. I know we're going to have to jump on in 10 more minutes. And by the way, I had already changed into my pajamas and had to put my nice business shirt back on and I'm not happy about it. I am wearing fluffy pants, uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want to jinx it, but the, the, these are these are the rigors we go through just for you, the listeners. Guys, look at we, these fluffy, fluffy <laughs> pants, slippers. 
<laughs> um, but at the risk of uh, ruining this podcast again, we expect it and Heinen to make the team. So this this kind of solidifies some of the other stuff that we had said before um, about Heinen. And so he did kind of claw his way in, right? We see some of the guys that got trade that got waived, I should say, um, including Boquist, and they evaluated Danton Heinen as more uh, valuable to this team than Boquist and some of the other players that they waived. Um, so I don't know if you had any thoughts on what you think uh, could be his role uh, with this team. Uh, I assume it would be not an everyday kind of player. He's going to be someone that sits and then comes in and then um, fills in where you need him. But what's your thoughts on them looking like they're keeping Dan Heinen here? Yeah, I just think he's he's like – a Swiss army knife. He's just obviously not as a center, but as a wing, uh, just a versatile player who can, he can play either side. You can play fourth line, third line in a real pinch. You can even put him in your top six and he's, you know, he's not going to score like a top six forward, but he's not going to look out of place. He's not going to be like a detriment that drags down a line either. So he's, he's just, he's a really smart, responsible two-way player that you can put out there and trust and, you know, has a little bit of offensive pop. I mean, it was only two years ago. He scored 18 goals, which, which is his career high. So, um, yeah, he can, he kills penalties. He can fill in on the second power play at times. Like you can just kind of put him anywhere and you know, you're going to get good, solid NHL shifts out of them. So it, in a, in a 13 forward, like that's ideal. That's exactly what you want. And, you know, we, we, in the main pod kind of get into, you know, what happens if like Potter doesn't last beyond the nine games. Well, one thing that could happen is if geeky moves over to center, Heinen could potentially be a wing on your third line. Um, or maybe Lauka moves up and he's a wing on your fourth line. So yeah, he's, I do think he's, I think he's a better player than Boquist or Patrick Brown or any of the, well, Oscar what about AJ Greer is the other name that comes to mind because not they're very dissimilar players, but those two guys kind of seemed like they were the last two guys. It was going to come down to them for that extra forward role. Um, and Greer has that grit, but you mentioned Heinen has that versatility. So uh, thoughts on him being the, the last person in beating out those guys, especially Greer. Yeah, again, like I, I just think with Greer, it's who by we touch on this as well, but he got claimed off waivers by the Calgary Flames on Monday, so he is gone. Um, there was just the duplication of skill set with Milan Lucic coming back, and I personally don't think you need two guys like that in your bottom six. Like it, it would be hard to see the two of them on a line together. That there'd be a serious lack of a foot speed there. Um, and by the way, you get that grit from Lauko too. So it's not like you don't have two players on that line that can mix it up. Lauko fights. Lauko can play physical. So um, when even when you say duplication of talents, like Lauko, I feel like Greer and Lauko are more comparable um, to what they could bring. And, and Lauko really the one that 
took that spot. Yeah. Lauko has the speed on Greer and I think more offensive upside. And I think, I think you saw that down the stretch last year, right? Like Greer was, I mean, he was a regular in the lineup for the first half of the season and was perfectly solid for what they asked of him. But then the second half, I think you saw Greer, I mean, Lauko, sorry, bringing a little more to the table. And that's why he started playing a little bit more down the stretch. So anything else you want to mention about this uh, situation with Lorai Heinen um, before we send you to the podcast that we recorded before? Nope. Th- th- this, this is good. On to the regular podcast. All right. Welcome in episode 226 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, the Bruins had a media day today on Monday, and we're just over 48 hours away from the start of the new 2023-2024 hockey season. So how are you guys, and and how was media day today? I'm great. Uh, media, media day was good. Got the, the whole Bruins brass up at the dais for the press conference. Uh, not just Montgomery and Sweeney, but also Cam Neely and Charlie Jacobs. Uh, so, you know, some good stuff there. But clearly the, the theme of it all was the injection of youth and, you know, that's sort of being part of this turning of the leaf to a new team. You know, Don Sweeney noted that this is now Brad, you know, the team now belongs to Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy and David Posternock and obviously the supporting cast. But uh, I think that the combination of like just the new season in general, but also now this injection of youth with, Matt, with Matt Patra and Johnny Beach are making the team and Mason Lori still around and making a push. Uh, you know, we're recording this a little before the 5 p.m. deadline, roster deadline on Monday. It's possible that, you know, the Bruins do something and, you know, we might tack something on at the end. Um, it's also possible that they just keep the roster they have for a couple more days because they can sort of, um, play around with the Danton Heinen PTO situation where they don't have to sign him to a contract by Monday at five. They in theory could wait until Wednesday. So that that they're as we sit here recording the roster that they had on Sunday and Monday is cap compliant. It's uh, 22 players. They're under the salary cap. It's just a 12 forward eight defenseman roster which is not what we think they'll ultimately end up at, but they they can keep that together for a couple of days if they want. So, um, yeah, I mean, like this this youth movement, the push that some of these guys have made, I think it's injected some energy into the team, the locker room, the organization, certainly the fan base. You know, I think you guys probably see it. I certainly see it on social media and, you know, just talking to friends. It's like people are now excited to – watch you know Patra especially but also Beecher and Lori if he's there um and you know it felt like kind of felt like this team in the season needed this you know the little little juice going in to sort of help people move past last year and and actually get excited for opening night and get excited for the year yeah, I would say like optimistic for sure. Um, you feel it in the room. I mean, it, you could always feel a little like that energy that the guys have in the room. Like last season, it was like a very comfortable, confident energy and like kind of a mature 
um, sure of their self kind of energy. And this, this one just feels a little bit different in that, like, oh, it's how can we assimilate these guys? Like we're excited to, to see where they go, see where they fit in. Um, Matt Patra has become like the person everyone wants to talk to. Um, he gets mobbed at every opportunity that he's talking to the media. Um, but he, he's really deserved all of the attention he's gotten. And I'm happy they made the decision to keep Johnny Beecher over Brown. Um, since the last time we recorded, they waived AJ Greer, Oscar Steen, um, and Brown, was there, was there another one? Um, oh, Jacob Zaboral. So, uh, those guys. And Jesper Boquist. And Jesper Boquist, um, who I did ask Don Sweeney about, but, um, yeah. So the two extra defensemen that you're talking about that they're keeping on the roster, um, Jacob's Borrell is not one of them. It's Ian Mitchell and Mason Laura at the, at the moment. So, um, Scott, I don't know if we want to jump into talking about the younger guys. Um, there's a lot of takeaways from media day, Brian, if you want to jump in, but Scott and I had a chance to talk to each of the young guys. Um, and I, I talked to Lucci as well. There was a lot going on. We can get into that too. Sure. I mean, I think for me, the biggest takeaway that I had from, I don't know if it's the biggest, but it's the one that comes to my mind first, but it's just that it's officially Charlie McAvoy and David Pasternak's team. And they were asked about that. Um, and the, the biggest quote for me is McAvoy. And he was just very thoughtful and trying to give an honest answer, but he basically mentioned how something that he's trying to internalize in his own mind going forward. And right now is like, what is his legacy going to be with the Boston Bruins? And, and along with David Pasternak, like what is their era? Because the guys before them that they've learned from, they had one. And, you know, we could talk about shortcomings in 2013, 2019, but the fact of the matter is they did win a Stanley Cup in 2011. They got to the top of the mountain. That's all gone now. And so Marshan remains, of course, but how will the Charlie McAvoy, David Pasternak era be remembered as six, eight, ten years from now? And and the players are cognizant of that question. And and here they are with an opportunity to to write that story before before it's written obviously yeah and along those same lines i was in on david Pasternak's scrum and you know obviously he's coming off in an unbelievable season 61 goals second in mvp voting he signs the biggest contract in bruins history in march uh you know an eight-year extension that kicks in this year keeps him with the team through 2031 and he was asked, you know, what motivates you after a year like that? And he said, it's very simple. It's a championship. I want to bring the championship back to Boston. This has been my big motivation since I got in this league. I'm starting my 10th season here in Boston. So it's time. That's definitely the motivation to win the championship above anything else. And that's, you know, that's something that something he's been pretty consistent about. Like he talked about that, uh, Last year, he talked about it after he signed the extension at the end of the season, you know, on breakup day, you could tell how devastated he was for them to have, you know, blown that opportunity that they had with the team that they had last year. And, you know, there's obviously there's certain people who want to paint Pasternak as somehow selfish or only cares about stats or whatever. And I, 
I've never gotten that impression from him. I, I think that generally comes from people who don't know him and quite frankly, like don't pay much attention outside of, you know, highlights of his goals. But um, yeah, I mean, he sounds genuine. And like you mentioned with McAvoy, like, I think it's the same thing where it's, yeah, I think it is starting to hit these guys. Like it's, their team, their franchise now, and you know, they're McAvoy's now in year two of a massive extension, Pasternak in year one, and it's like this is this is their prime. This is their big contracts. This is, you know, what they're ultimately going to be judged on. So um yeah, you know, I think you 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 hear two guys who want to keep raising their level and um raise the team's level as well. And obviously, you know, everyone knows that this is not the same team as last year. Everyone knows they don't have the same depth and all that, but uh, I get the sense like, and some guys have even said it is there's still a quiet confidence that this is a team that can win a lot, that expects to win a lot, that expects to be a playoff team that saw last year that all you have to do is get into the playoffs and you have a chance. So, um, you know, none of them are expecting to have 130, whatever, 40 points again. None of them are expecting 65 wins. But, uh, you know, I think there's still a pretty high level of confidence that this can be a good team, at least, you know, in the building, whether fans are, are buying in or not, you know, very much up in the air. Yeah, and there's a few guys I want to add to that core because um, we're talking, and this is going to be a talking point throughout the season, Jake DeBrusque. Um, would probably go in that category of the core with this is their, their era with Pasternak and McAvoy. Um, Brendan Carlo, Hampus Lindholm, who just signed a, a longer contract. So these are some guys that are kind of in their prime and in these big contracts that they signed with the Bruins, um, except for DeBrusque, who's up for his contract. And um, Sweeney was asked about it. He said they're in ongoing conversations. He really didn't add any new information to that situation um but you know that's just something on the horizon and it's funny because Jake DeBrusque who you know we've kind of thought as one of the younger guys on the team now is realizing that he's teaching the 19 year old kids like he's he's like he said to you Scott today I'm starting to feel old because (laughs) now I'm the guy that people are asking questions to and I'm not the guy that's asking the questions so um yeah that that group he's part of the core as well um, and he's going to be an important player for them this season. I uh, obviously had a great season last year, but um, because of the changes in the lineup, because of no Bergeron, no Krejci, uh, his scoring is going to be relied upon more. And he seems pretty confident. He said he was ready for the season, felt like he ramped up and is ready to go. So, I mean, I feel personally that the – the Matt Patra uh, story is first is first and foremost the the number one out of camp. Uh, Johnny Beecher's right there, and a lot of questions were directed towards towards management just about. Um, well, I think I think somebody asked Sweeney about if he was on on the, on the Bruins when Bergeron came in. Um, you know, it was talked about David Pasternak coming in as a teenager, and I just think like. The Bruins, they 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 think that tampering expectations is is what is something that they believe in, with with young players coming into the league, and 
I, I, I guess, I guess, should we, should we tamper at, what are these expectations? I mean, what are your guys' expectations for Matt Potter? I mean, first and foremost starts with the nine game sample size. I don't know if anybody's really labeled a ton of expectations on him to, to really tamper down. I just think there's a general excitement that maybe Sweeney was, was referring to. I mean, I, I personally don't, think he's like gonna you know necessarily win the Calder trophy and score you know 60 points I just think that you know he's a, he's a Look fresh out Connor Bedard yeah seriously I just think that he uh I mean I just I think he's gonna come in and, and and add some some youth and and some offense but I don't think anybody's sitting here projecting a Calder trophy so it's one of those things when you hear Sweeney say that it's 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 kind of annoying. It's like it's he's just playing politician and, and he's doing what he's supposed to do, I suppose. Like not trying to put too much pressure on the kid, but I don't think people put that much pressure on him. They're just excited that he's been playing well. I, I think you're right, but I, I also think part of like Sweeney's saying that is in response to something Bridget mit- mentioned, which is uh, you know, Padre's just getting like swarmed by media every time he's available, every time he's in the locker room. Um he's getting podcast requests from uh your certain favorite local Bruins podcast um but yeah it you know so I I think it might be just a really good response to that as much as anything and uh I did ask him by the way I did ask him today if he's becoming more comfortable with being swarmed by everyone and he said he was fine with it I said (laughs) he he seems to be taking it well it's funny because I saw him Elaine was shooting a video that went onto the Bruins Instagram and he's kind of like covering his face. Like he didn't want to be on camera, but really he seems to be okay de- uh, dealing with the media. He, he told me he wasn't uncomfortable. So I guess, you know, he's going to have to get used to it because especially if he continues to play well, the cameras are going to be all over him. He's all of a sudden people are going to know what he looks like and see him out on the town and his life is changing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think you can, see even just from like the start of camp until now that he's getting more comfortable with that and he's getting more comfortable with his teammates like you saw at practice today so they practice at the garden as part of media day and they do like a two-on-two center ice drill and brad martian turned patra inside out and then scored a nice goal and you saw like patra just like throw his head back and laugh and martian kind of like slashed him on the you know on the shin pads on his way by um there was like as we le- as the media was leaving the locker room there was an equipment guy sitting next to Patra and um they were like talking and the equipment guy goes yeah I'm just waiting for you to take your your jersey off like so we can throw it in the bin and Patra's like oh I thought you just wanted to spend some quality time with me so that was like, pretty funny I did think that I heard that as we were walking out and I was like that that's a good one that was that was a good good comeback yeah so you you see him getting more comfortable, but yeah, I mean, as far as my expectations for him, it's, I think it's wide open. Like I, I'm personally not putting any on him because I, you know, I know Bridget's been adamant on here. She thinks he's NHL ready. She thinks he's sticking around. Um, You know, I've, I've said like, I'm, I'll give him the nine games and I want to see how those look like it's possible that it turns out he just has more to work on and another year in juniors could do him good. I am increasingly leaning towards him sticking around beyond the nine games, but you know, let him play those games first and then see where you're at. So 
yeah, I don't have any sort of set like, well, he needs to have five points in those nine games or whatever. No, like just play good hockey, play the way he's been playing. Uh, keep working that hard on and off the puck and the results will follow and, you know, make his line mates better. I think you, you know, I thought in practice today, there were a couple of times where you continue to see growing chemistry between him, Frederick and geeky. They had uh, a really nice, like it was like a three on two rush drill, really nice tic-tac-toe goal. So, you know, like just keep doing what he's doing. Obviously don't let up just because you're, you made the opening night roster. Um, but don't, don't think you have to do something above and beyond what you're already doing either. So uh, my expectations for him are right now, sort of just limited to this nine games, just play good hockey and then go from there. I'm not going to sit here and say like, Oh, I think he'll have 40 points or whatever. Like, I don't know. Maybe after the nine games, I'll have a better feel. He also got some time playing with the breast, but that was like power play rushes. Um, But I also would, be happy to see him play next to Marshawn and DeBrusque, um, which they have worked on a little bit. You're talking about making chemistry with on that third line. Maybe we see him on the second line at some point during those nine days, the nine day trial. Um, I, I mean, you know what my expectations are. I expect him to make, uh, make the team stay on the team. I said that for a week or so. I don't know how long it's been. Um, I just feel like even if he doesn't put up huge numbers in the first nine games of the season, you're still going to see those flashes of upside. That's going to make you not want to put him down and just, just let him weather the storm a little bit. Um, if he doesn't look good, sometimes shows flashes. He's like, you mentioned, you, you can't put super high expectations on him. Just let him fight through it. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're judging and, and predicting off of stuff we've already seen, then you have to think he's going to make the team after nine games. If we're basing it off of what we've seen from him in the preseason uh, and the upside that we've seen and what he can bring. I also think that they don't have a great, like a better option than him. Right. So like why take him off the team after nine games, if he's your best option in that position, it doesn't make sense to me at all. So I expect him to stick, not just for the nine games, for the, rest of the season um hopefully if he's able to compete at the level we saw him compete in preseason yeah that's a great point he's he's also as you mentioned he's not it's all like he's beating out charlie Coyle of last year where charlie Coyle is the third center and patra comes into camp and takes his spot there he's not taking anybody's established role right now as a third line center so <clears throat> um and yeah, I think his upside is significantly higher than than what the other options that they have at center uh, in the you know for that third line. I think that my expectations for him is that he's going to help this hockey team. He's going to be a net positive for them. Is that going to be him putting up twenty five to thirty points? Is it going to be him putting up you know forty to fifty? I don't know. Uh, I, I'll tell you this: from what I've seen in preseason, I don't think he's a flash in the pan. Oftentimes you'll see a player impress in training camp, but there's kind of, there's just something to the eye test where you're like, I just don't think that's, I think it's more fortune than, than anything else. It's good timing. And I don't, it, he's playing against some, a mix of AHL and NHL. Um, but Potra's 
his 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 hands, his vision, and his hockey IQ alone, I think, is already um, where it needs to be to, to to get a start in the NHL. So my expectations are he's going to help this hockey team. Um, I don't want to put a finite you know prediction together, but I do think he's going to help the team uh, in more ways than he won't. Yeah, I think what you're talking about, like what really stands out, you know, versus other young players is that poise. It's just how confident he looks with the puck on his stick, how he sees the ice, how he reads plays. Because, you know, if someone comes in and they blow you away with their speed or, you know, some sick dangles or an incredible shot, like those are those are easy to see. You You know exactly what that is and like you see stuff like that and then it's like okay well does he also think the game at, at an NHL level with Potra it's like you can see that he already thinks the game at an NHL level and guys like that like you don't need all that other stuff to be elite in order to be a good NHL player like you don't you don't need the you know Connor McDavid or even Fabian like self speed you don't need a, a David Pasternak shot like if you have that that poise, that confidence, that vision, as you said, hockey IQ, like you you have a leg up on a lot of younger players. So that's what really stands out. Um, while we're here, just on the topic of depth or like what would be behind Patra if you know, say they do end up sending him back, uh, Danton, as we touched on, Danton Heinen's still around. He has not yet signed a contract but he was at practice Monday. It certainly seems like the plan is for him to sign a contract. Um, maybe that even happens before we log off this podcast. We'll see. But um, after that, of all the guys they waived, everyone except AJ Greer cleared. So AJ Greer got claimed off waivers by the Calgary Flames on Monday. And, you know, the irony there is Greer grew up a, Big fan of Milan Lucic, watching Lucic. Uh, it's Lucic's return to Boston that basically spells Greer's end because, you know, they have similar skill sets, bring similar things to the table. So Greer gets waived. He ends up getting claimed by the Flames, who were probably looking for bottom six toughness because they moved on from, guess who? Milan Lucic so such like, a weird so- such a weird dynamic going on there like it's, it's almost like a, a sad like a tragedy like it's a little bit tragic like I wonder I mean obviously Greer probably wants to um play on an NHL roster does he want it to be in Calgary would he have rather cleared waivers stuck around in Providence for a little until he got called up uh, the Bruins obviously would have rather him cleared um and be an option for them but he's no longer an option and it is just kind of a little bit strange with the the multiple lucci connections with that yeah so but you know jesper boquist is still an option oscar steen is still around patrick brown um and then obviously even beyond that you know the non-waiver guys like mark mclaughlin or georgie merkelov or you know on and on so or sliding geeky over. I mean, not geeky. Um, yeah, sliding geeky over. Yeah, well, start, well, sliding someone else that's um making the Boston lineup to center Frederick or geeky. Yeah, I, I guess that that's where I should have started. But yeah, geeky would be the one to slide over and be third line center if Potra doesn't stick. Um, 
so yeah, so that's kind of where where the the roster is. Uh, Don Don Sweeney didn't really tip his hand when it comes to the defense. Said you know basically said like he has an idea what they're going because if they sign Heinen, they have to um, you know send down a defenseman either Lorai who obviously doesn't need waivers or. Ian Mitchell, who does need waivers, or maybe trade someone away, which, you know, it's kind of tough to pull off trades this close to the season, but it's an option. Um, So, you know, Sweeney didn't, he said they have an idea what they're going to do, but Mason Lorai has made it a difficult decision, which I sort of read into that as like, they're probably still leaning towards having Lorai start in Providence. But they're very clearly giving long, serious thought to him breaking camp with the Bruins and being on the opening night roster. Yeah, I think uh, when Don Sweeney mentioned how two young guys were were, were pushing in, in Patra and, and Johnny Beecher in the press conference, he didn't initially mention Lorai's name. And I think it was just an un... Um, an unintentional way of, of him kind of tipping his hand there where I think he mentioned Patra and Beecher because they're going to have those, those opening night spots. I also think in context, he was kind of more being asked about the forward group um, in different situations. So um, like when, when I, he gave an answer about Patra and Beecher to one of my questions, but it was pertaining to, um, you know, what led to his decision to waive Jesper Boquist. And he mostly said, you know, be, Beecher and Potter had such good camps, like that's why Boquist ended up making the team. So I think a lot of that was in context with questions about the offense or questions specifically about Patra that he also just like looped Beecher into. So I don't know how much there is to read into it. Um, but Scott did talk to, well, I did too, but um, Mason Lorai, I, in the in the locker room after and scott you were like you like totally went to burst his bubble you're like what are you gonna do if you don't make the team and he was just like i don't want to think about that <laughs> yeah well you know I, I tried to find like a way to ask that without you know without sounding like a jerk but like i, I am curious because obviously there's gonna there's gonna be disappointment if he doesn't make the nhl roster to start but you know i saw i wanted basically what I was getting at is like, I wanted to know, you know, how do you sort of build off what you've, what's clearly been a strong camp and preseason. If you have to deal with like that disappointment of starting in Providence and, and I get obviously like he doesn't want to think about that, but um, you know, he certainly said all the, all the right things today. And it it is hard for some of those guys because they haven't gotten, the definitive answer. Yeah. Like even Beecher said that when I was talking to him, he's like, you know, some, someone asked him like, have you been given the definitive word? And he said, no, not yet. And it's like, uh, obviously they all, you know, can look at the roster and who's been sent down and draw pretty safe conclusions. But until someone tells you, yeah, you're on the opening night roster, it's, it's not official official. So, and, and in Lori's case, it's even, you know, is even more uncertainty because that is somewhere where at some point they do have to make another move. So, 
Yeah, the fact that Ian Mitchell and him are there as extra defensemen, it's kind of, you know, it, it definitely makes the dynamic different. It was a little bit weird. I I mean, I wish they did media day after the final decision in Cuss because it did kind of feel like we were kind of tiptoeing around, asking questions a certain way, not being super definitive with guys like Beecher um, and Lori. But uh, also I would really love to ask, like, to talk to Don Sweeney after the final roster and just ask him, say, Lori doesn't make it. What was the decision? How come Lori went down? What, like, what's the thought process? Those are questions we'd like to ask him. We do not, I mean, as far as I know, we don't know the next time we're going to talk to Don Sweeney. So could be a while from now. Uh, he doesn't speak to us very much. So we got some of the answers we wanted, but those, those things are still up in the air. So those are things we haven't had a chance to ask him about. Obviously. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a method to their madness there. Maybe they maybe they want to dodge a couple of potential questions. Um, but you know, I think, uh, yeah, I, look, I, I I want Laurie on the team. I think that if I had to wager a guess, I feel like he he might start in Providence simply to just play every game for a cup for a little bit. I don't, do I agree with it? I don't know. Um, no, I'd rather him over Forbert, uh, but. Will they make that 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 decision and have that conversation with Forbert and like what they want to deal with, you know, not having him on the roster right now? I, I don't know. I really don't know. So when Don Sweeney says he thinks he has an idea of who their top six is going to be to start, I think it's safe to assume, you know, it's their their you know top four from last year and then Forbert and Shattenkirk. But I could be wrong. What I am what I am pleased about is the fact that. There were some line combinations uh, before uh, Patrick Brown was waived and, and a couple other players that had Johnny Beecher on the fifth line in the depth chart. And it was one of those situations where it's like Patrick Brown has done nothing as far as his performance on the ice this preseason to merit a fourth line center role over Johnny Beecher. And it was like, here we go again, because the Bruins talk about in, in, in a press conference today, they say, we're usually pretty consistent about giving a young kid an opportunity when we think they can help us. And I'm just like, all right. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily always true, but okay, I'll go with you on it. And, um, but in this situation, uh, you know, their actions uh, backed up those words when they, they did wave Patrick Brown and, and, and with all the intentions of saying, Hey, Johnny Beach is going to get that first, like a fourth line center. Yeah. And Jesper Boquist was a guy they did not expect to wave, but because of those guys surprising them, uh, in the preseason, he ended up as one of the odd men out. And that's how you know they're really, like, this year we're staying true to their word that they told the younger guys that if they worked hard and they beat guys out that they would get the spot because um, Boquist was someone that they liked and targeted as a free agent, thought he had a spot, and um, then had to make the tough choice and have a tough conversation with him uh, a few days ago about not – being part of the team. So, um, so yeah, I think they really were true to their word this year. I mean, but also basically they didn't have much option besides to choose those guys because, um, from what we saw, that's what makes the team the better team, right? Like your team is a better team with those two guys. Um, and there's no loyalty to someone like Boquist who, first of all, wasn't with Boston last year, um, never got into an NHL game with Boston. So um, not yet, at least because maybe later on in the season at some point, but um, yeah, they make your team a better team. So you have to put them in. 
Yeah, and it, it certainly this year, like Sweeney has allowed it to be truly open competition. You know, he they wind up waiving two guys that he signed as a free agent. Like that's not ideal for any general manager. And I don't mean because it reflects poorly on the move or whatever, because ultimately waving Patrick Brown and Jesper Boquist costs, you no no extra money. Like, you know, I mean, because they're one way contracts, you're still paying that cash wise. You're still paying them the same net, even if they're in Providence, but in terms of, you know, cap space or whatever, like you bury the whole contract. There's nothing that stays on the NHL books, but yeah, like day one of free agency, they signed Patrick Brown to a two year deal. Clearly the idea was he might be the fourth line center, the Tomas Nosek replacement. They signed Jesper Boquist as a free agent when Danton Heinen was also still a free agent. And so there could be like a temptation if you're the GM there to say, you know, well, let's kind of give some preference to, to the guys I went on and signed. But in the end, you know, yeah, they went with the guys who just played better. So I think you have to give them credit there. And I know there's going to be criticism if Lori does, doesn't start the season in the NHL. I just feel like that's not, that won't be as justified as criticism had they kept say Brown over Beecher, which I think would have been pretty fair criticism. Um, in this case, like you already have an NHL decor that any way you look at it and, you know, unless you're like one of these massive haters who thinks every Bruins defenseman sucks, except for McAvoy, uh, I think anyone looking at it objectively believes this is one of the best decors in the NHL. It should be. Um, so if you start the season with sort of the veteran group that we expect and Lori plays 10, 15, 20 games in Providence, if he does well and if someone struggles or there's an injury, he's going to get called up and he might never look back once he does. So I don't think it, I don't think there's a whole lot of harm in, in starting him in Providence, but you know, if he does sign the the NHL, then that's just, you know, that's just kind of a, another bold move and turn to youth. And like, I, I would certainly give him credit for that as well. So I don't, Bridget just disappeared, uh, but (laughs) a little Houdini trick there, but uh, Scott, I feel like, I agree with I agree with you on that front. Um, there is definitely less of a demand right now to crack into that top six uh, on the NHL roster on D than there is for certain spots up front. Uh, as it pertains to expectations, and I know Bridget, we're gonna have to wait for her to kind of uh, you know come back onto the set here, but maybe we start to to transition over to our expectations for the for the Bruins team this year. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of minor personnel decisions still to be made, but by and large, we know what this, this team is going to be going into the season and how they stack up against the rest of the, uh, of the league. Bridget's back. So I think we're probably good. Bridget thumbs up. If you're back. I have no idea what just happened. I have no, but it's par for the course. How was my face frozen on a really weird face? Like, no, it, <laughs> no, it, it went totally black. black. Oh, good. <laughs> that's literally, that's so par for the course on laptop. Number four. I was, go. I was gonna say I, ju- I just removed you from the screen because you cut me off. 
but that's <laughs> that is not actually what happened. No, uh, my whole screen went black. My light turned off. One second, everything everything went to shit. So well, there you go. Yeah, Bridges had more laptops than the Bruins have had centers uh, <laughs> heading into the season. So a lot of transactions, finally... a lot a lot of roster movement, a lot of transactions. Yeah. Corporate finally, I got my laptop from corporate. Um, hopefully that comes in clutch. But anyway, um, like, where were like... we? <laughs> Like, like the Bruins, her her new Odyssey laptop's also 19 years old. So it probably <laughs> is, honestly. So uh, just kidding, Odyssey. We love you. They have um, been actually really helpful. I, I I've been calling this poor IT guy, and he actually just called me while we were doing the podcast. So I'm gonna call him back later. But um, sorry, I completely rudely interrupted this by my laptop crapping out. Okay. Um. So did we, I, there was a few more things I want to say about Patra if we're, if we're wrapping up with this conversation or. Yeah, sure. You, you can get last word and then we'll go to uh, start talking about predictions and whatnot. Okay. Also one minute till the deadline, just saying. Um, so I have been scrolling Twitter. Um, so just a few fun things that we learned about Patra today, because obviously we're kind of just getting to know him. Um, People probably don't know what his face looks like yet, unless you've been really um, hardcore following preseason. So he's going to keep the number 51. Uh, it was assigned to him, but he said it also has family significance. He kind of seemed like he didn't want to say what it was, so we don't know what the family significance was, but um, he's keeping number 51. He doesn't know where he's staying yet. He doesn't know if he'll be in a hotel, uh, apartment, whatever. He's not settled into Boston yet, still figuring that out. And someone asked him, like, is it going to be weird, like, living by yourself and cooking? And he's like, yeah, he said he can't cook. And he said, I can do the stuff. I can do stuff that has instructions on the box, but that's about it. So he's going to work on his cooking. Um, his favorite player growing up, I don't know if either of you saw the answer to this because I did tweet it, but Brian, have you seen what his answer was? If, if not, do you want to guess who his favorite player was growing up? Um, I did not see it as far as a guess. Um, I know we grew up in Toronto, so maybe Austin Matthews or someone like that. I've, I've heard him before say he models his game after Braden Point. So I'll guess that. It was Jonathan Taze. Okay. And he also threw Mitch Marner in there as someone that he watches now and likes how he plays now. Um, but it was Jonathan Taze, which makes sense. Like grow, like when he was growing up, Chicago was really good, and uh, Jonathan Taze was a great center for them at that time. So Jonathan Taze, and then he also told us that his entire family it will be in attendance on Wednesday for his NHL debut. His older brother, younger sister, mom, dad, and hopefully his grandparents, he said, will be there. So there's just a little bit of like information about him as a person and kind of just filling in a little bit of the character and the color around him. He's not just, you know, now that, now that we're going to be around him a lot and people are going to want to know about him as much as they can. All right. So Scott, did you want to, do you want to uh, head over to the, to the predictions now? Sure. Uh, it's, all right. I mean, do we want to start, start Bruins where we think they're going to finish or I guess we might as well, yeah, right? I would just do the Atlantic, right? And and people will know based upon that where we think. Yeah, so, I mean, for starters, I think the Atlantic division is going to be fascinating this season because there are 
so many questions, so many wild cards. Like, I, I think most people expect Toronto to be the top team. And I will just say off the top, they are also my pick to win the division. Um, you know, they still have the the stacked forward group. I think they've gotten better defensively. Obviously, there's still questions. Well, let me say that they've gotten better defensively the last couple of years. And now I wonder if they've taken a step back again this year because their big addition on the back end was John Klingberg, who cannot play defense. So I could actually see them struggling defensively again. Um, but I do like their forward core. Ilya Samsonov obviously had a very good season last year, better than a lot of people anticipated in goals. So just overall, they're probably the team with the fewest question marks. And whatever you think of, you know, what they can and can't do in the playoffs, regular season, they should be good. I have the Bruins second. And maybe that's bias. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting a little too caught up in some of the optimism that's, you know, kind of been there throughout this camp, but I see a team that is still very strong defensively should still have the best or one of the best goaltending duos and has still has good offensive pieces, even though there are obviously questions at center, but you still have David Posenak. You still have Brad Marchand. Um, you know, there is some youth now being added to this group that could help. And uh, after that, like Florida Panthers obviously went on an amazing run. They start the season with Aaron Eckblad and Brandon Montour on injured reserve. And that could be like up to two months. So that's a pretty significant chunk. I did not like what they did to address their defense this off season. It seemed like more of a quantity over quality approach. And I thought they probably needed to upgrade their defense, even with Ekblad and Montour in there. And I don't think they did. Obviously they remain a very deep team offensively. Um, Tampa Bay lost a lot of depth, lost Alex Killorn, lost basically their entire fourth line. Um, Andre Vasilevsky out at least two months after surgery. Huge questions in goal to start the season. I honestly could see them being a fringe playoff team, being like on the bubble. There's, you know, there's still the very high-end talent of Kucherov, Point, Hedman, Mikhail Sergachev's a player I really like. Stamko's still very good, even if he's not in his prime anymore. Um, Brandon Hagel's a good player. Like, there's still stuff to like there, but there's definitely more questions with the Lightning than usual. And then, you know, after that, like, look, Sabres just missed the playoff, or, you know, were pretty close to making a playoff push last year, scored a ton of goals, had to address defense and goaltending. Obviously, they hope uh, Northeastern product Devin Levi can be the answer in goal. I'm not sure they fully address their defense with, with all due respect to Connor Clifton and Eric Johnson. I think those are more third-pairing guys when they really need a top-four guy. Um, but, you know, they, they could certainly make a push. And then we, you know, kind of round out the division from there, I think. Senators could surprise. Red Wings could be better. Canadians probably going to be pretty bad again. So Scott 
kind of there's a lot of similarities. Toronto one, Bruins two, uh, for me as well. And then I had Sabres third because um first of all, everybody knows Connor Clifton's gonna put them over the top. They're gonna be a playoff team this year because of Connor Clifton. Um just kidding. But uh they all but I do believe that Devin Levi can have an impact on them. I think that they really were hungry for it last year and fell just short. Um, I think their rebuild has gone far enough that they're a playoff team. I had them in the third spot. However, they could be a wild card team. Um, Metro, I had Hurricanes, Devils, Rangers. But then my my main thing was I didn't know, like my expectations for the Penguins are all over the place. So I didn't know where to put the Penguins. Uh, and I actually just ended up putting them outside of the playoffs um kind of maybe something like last season um they add carlson so theoretically they should be better but and make be a playoff team um but i just didn't know where to put them like are they better than the lightning are they are they better than florida and are or are they better than buffalo they they have to be better than one of those teams in order to make the playoffs this year so that was kind of the one team i wasn't so sure about and, and to go to the Bruins um, in the number two spot. Like Scott said, we're very optimistic. I don't know if it's just because of where we are. Um, But I did take a look at where other uh, reporters across the league, the NHL put out about like had like 15 or so of their reporters put out their predictions. And a lot of people had the Bruins in that second slot. There were only two out of, you know, say like 10 to 15 reporters that had the Bruins missing the playoffs so they were a playoff team for most people um and because of the things that scott listed about the lightning and the panthers i still think they finish above those teams um and and i think the sabers will make the playoffs but i don't see them being better than the bruins or toronto so that's why i have those two as the top two teams in the atlantic all right i mean bridget i respect you putting the putting the Sabres on the map. And, and I'll tell you something, I'm, I'm looking at the same map that you are. Uh, I also think that the Sabres are, are going to make the playoffs this year. Uh, I think the, for me, the, the Atlantic is Toronto and then Boston. And then I have, I do have the Sabres uh, making, making the, uh, the playoffs being the third team in the Atlantic division, um, which even people who think the Sabres make the playoffs might have them in a wild card. Right. But I don't know. I just think they're, they've just been knocking on the door for a while. And it's a combination of that. And, and yes, like Tampa Bay, they've had some turnover. They still have the key guys in place, but they also don't have Vasilevsky as we've mentioned. So that to me, and even when he comes back, is he going to be healthy? I mean, back injuries are, are, are problematic for sure, especially at the goaltending position. So to me, Tampa Bay is not, they're not a lock to make the playoffs because goaltending is really important. And I don't know. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I don't know much about their their replacement for Vasilevsky and their ability. So, um, but I'm not sure they know a lot about it either, to be honest. <laughs> okay, so it's not just me not doing my homework. Okay, good. So, so yeah, I think so for me, but I do okay, so let me I'll just reiterate. So for me, the Atlantic is is Toronto, Boston, Buffalo. The Metro, I have the Hurricanes, then the Devils and the Rangers. Um I was inclined to put the Rangers into the wild card, but I just, I just like their defense better than better better than than uh, Pittsburgh's. And then uh, the wild card, I have, I do have Tampa in the wild card because until they don't make the playoffs, I can't have them as the playoffs. They've just they've earned that. So for me, the uh, uh, there you go. We got a fourth 
fourth host on the podcast. Bridget, what's what's that cat's name? Xerxes. Xerxes, that's Xerxes. right. That's right. Usually it's the others, but um today it's Xerxes. And then yeah, so so for the wild card I have I have the Tampa Bay Lightning and then the Penguins in the two hole. And so yeah, for me the snub is is the Panthers. Um I just I don't see a whole lot there outside of Matthew Kachuk. And it's like, I mean, I don't know. I, there, There is, I mean, Barkov is obviously great. Verhege's good. Kachuk is great. Um, you know, Ekblad's good. Montour is good. I just, He's going to wait, wait. He's eating my microphone cord. I don't need this, Xerxes. I already have enough <laughs> This is why none of Bridget's technology works. It's all been <laughs> eaten by cats. Sitting here. He's sitting here eating my mic my mic cord. Xerxes. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I have the Panthers as my uh, as my playoff snub, I guess, if you want to label one. And then um yeah, if if we're doing if we're doing do, do we do the, the dark horse and the regular are we saving that for, for well next? I I guess since I didn't do my metro, I, I should just go through that quick. Um so I have this. I have the same order as you guys. Hurricanes winning the Metro, Devils second, Rangers third, and then I have Penguins. Penguins and Lightning as my two wild cards. Uh, so I have Buffalo out. As I said, I I think they're asking a lot of Devin Levi, who I really like and think was excellent at Northeastern, um, but they did not improve their team defense. Uh, as much as I think they needed to now, look, maybe just having the goalie is enough to get them into the playoffs. But, um, you know, I also think their, their bottom six, I, I don't think is all that strong. Um, certainly the high end talents are there with Tage Thompson, Alex Tuck, Jeff Skinner had a huge bounce back year. Dylan cousins. I really like Darlene and Owen power on the blue line, which by the way, uh, we should mention Buffalo just signed Rasmus Dahlin to an eight-year, $88 million extension. So he's now one of three defensemen in the NHL making uh, at least $11 million along with Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty. So sort of – and obviously those are older contracts signed a while ago. So kind of resets the market a bit for the, you know, the new wave of young stud defensemen. And the reason I bring it up is because I think that makes – Charlie McAvoy being locked in at nine and a half million through the end of the decade. That's just going to look better and better by the year as defensemen, more defensemen end up in that $11 million range. And someone's going to push to 12 or 13 at some point. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely could see the Sabres making the playoffs, um, but I have them uh, just outside right now. Yeah. It, <laughs> the dark horse team. Okay. I didn't pick someone that's like very much at the bottom, like supposed to be close to finishing last. I picked the Sabres as a dark horse team, as in like if the meaning is to make a run beyond what people expected. Um, So that's like more of a playoff thing. Like if they make it in, can they make a run? Um, And also people don't expect them to make it in in the first place. So um, I took it as – someone that's going to go above expectations, um, surprise people and, uh, kind of reemerge from where the Sabres have been, which was kind of being laughed at for a while. Um, you know, Sabres jokes were running rampant uh, for a few seasons. They've gone away. Tage Thompson, um, Jeff Skinner have really kind of 
brought the team back to um, being in contention and, and things are looking up after they spent a lot of time in the basement. So um, I say, I say they're the dark horse just because I think they're going to go above expectations and they're going to go above what they've been in the past, uh, say five, six, how many seasons has it been since they made the playoffs? It's been a while. I think it's been since like 2009 or 10 when the Bruins yeah. beat them. It's been since since the era where Milan Lucic killed Ryan Miller. Gotta get you all those back to, to that era. Yeah, w- was it the year that the Bruins knocked them out? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. I think I think it was the year the year of uh Miro the Hero and Dennis Weidman and <laughs> and um Michael Ryder kind of putting them out of misery in game six in Boston. Um yeah, I mean I, I guess my dark horse would be I, well, I put down that my dark horse was the Calgary Flames. Um, but if like league wide, I think Calgary, uh, you know, with a new new lease on life with Sutter gone, I think Jonathan Huberto should have a you know resurgence. Um, Kadri in a second year in in in, uh, in Calgary, I just think there's a lot of there's a lot of ground that they can make up. I think they underperformed last year. But if we're keeping it to the Eastern Conference, uh, I do like the Senators as a dark horse. Uh, Scott, you mentioned them. Um, People talk about the Sabres, myself and Bridget, Senators, Scott. I also think the Red Wings are like, you know, they're on the ascend too. I think their direction is a little bit less clear right now than it may have been a couple of years ago. You know, Tyler Bertuzzi was supposed to be a part of that, I feel like. Um, but, they, you know, they've seen some, some, some signs from the guys in the offseason, JT Comfer, and, you know, their roster is pretty decent. I don't expect them to do very much. Um, but if I were to pick a dark horse in the East, maybe maybe Detroit. Um Another fun dark horse, but it's like rel- – and when I say dark horse, it's about making the playoffs, right? This dark horse is like not necessarily to make the playoffs, but to be a competitive team, which otherwise wouldn't be, would be Chicago. I mean, Connor Bedard is going to – alone can like potentially, you know, increase that team's production by like 20 points this Taylor year. Taylor Hall is on the team this year. They yeah, and Fliggy. Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno. And don't forget Fliggy. Yeah, so I just think like – like Chicago is going to be must watch. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see because like Chicago would literally be a cellar dweller again, a last place team by far without Connor Bedard's presence this year. So I'm interested to see just how much one player can impact that for that yeah. that previous. Well, game. we get to see them first day Wednesday opening night. Connor Bedard will be at the Garden. I was going to say, don't forget about a couple other Bruins legends on that team: Ryan Donato and Jared Tenorti course um yeah i i think the blackhawks are still gonna be bad i mean it it would be really impressive if Connor bedard drags that team anywhere close to the playoffs because like it we'll see it wednesday but it's like they basically gave Connor bedard pretty good line mates and like defensemen for his five and five shifts and then the rest of that roster still sucks quite frankly like there is not a lot there but We'll see. Um, but that's why I'm saying like, I think it's going to be kind of fun to see just how far, not far, but like how much less worse he can make them. Yeah. By the way, the Sabres did make the playoffs the year after the Bruins knocked them out too. Uh, 2011. Lost to the Flyers, right? Yeah, they lost to the Flyers in seven games, and then the Bruins, of course, swept the Flyers. Um, yeah, my, my dark horse, so I guess kind of two different levels. My dark horse of like a team that I think most people have in the playoffs that I could see going on a deep, maybe a little bit of an unexpected deep run would be the Los Angeles Kings. Um, I really liked them aggressively going out 
in getting Pierre-Luc Dubois this offseason, I think now gives them really tremendous center depth with Dubois, Andre Kopitar, and Philip Dano, um, you know, as their top three guys. Uh, you know, still some pretty good defensemen there. Goaltending is a question mark. That's going to be the huge wild card. You know, last year they had to trade for Corpus Allo, and he was solid for them, but um, he's gone now. So it's like Phoenix Copley and Cam Talbot. Um, and then in the East, Brian, you mentioned it, but it would be Ottawa for me as a team that's, you know, probably projected to not make the playoffs that I could see making a run. I just, I like that, that young talent up front with Stutzla, Brady Kachuk, Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, obviously, you know, veteran Giroux, they add Vladimir Tarasenko, like, that's that's a pretty good group. And then on defense, you they went out and traded for Chikrin to add to Shabbat. You got Jake Sanderson now in his second year. Like there's there's some really promising pieces there. I don't know if this is gonna be the year that they, you know, put it all together and, and break through, but definitely wouldn't shock me if if they do. Um, so I don't think I picked my last place. I didn't haven't said my last place team yet. Uh but I, uh, I do think Chicago's not going to do as well as Brian thinks. Um, the Sharks are not good. Whoa, 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 whoa! You can't say that and get away with it. I never said Chicago's going to do good. All I said was I, I want to see. You what... said Dark Horse. They're not going to be. Well, as bad as I just meant like you know how how much better can he make them than what would be a last place team, which they very well may be. I essentially or, I just want to see the Connor Bedard effect. What it does. Or, Ask yourself, how much better could they be if they tanked and got another number one overall pick? That's <laughs> what I was thinking. That is true. Ask I also, yourself, I also how didn't many realize they really want to win. That's true, but I also didn't realize, like Scott said, that they have Jared Tenorti. So maybe the cup is back on for Chicago. <laughs> so I'm picking the Sharks. Um, honorable mentions, Ducks and Canadians and Blackhawks. Yeah, it's it's the Sharks for me for worst record. That that team is going to be so bad, um, you know. And they might end up trading a Tomas Hurdle, Logan Couture, like the few veterans they ha- actually have left. But yeah, it's uh did the Athletic put out like their one big question for each team, and the question for the Sharks was literally like, will this be the worst defense in the modern era? <laughs> like, there's just nothing on that team's blue line. So. Uh, yeah, tough, tough going for for San Jose, but um, yeah, I mean Anaheim probably still not going to be very good. Montreal, as we said, Columbus, I don't see making too much of a jump, although they do have some some promising young pieces. But yeah, I got to go with Sharks. By the way, my last year's dark horse, just just to throw myself, uh, you know, under the bus, was Columbus. Um, that take did not age well. Uh, so I'm not picking them again. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I don't think they're, they're making the playoffs. Yeah. They had some bad in- injuries last year too. That didn't help them. I can see them getting, getting better this year with, you know, another year of Goudreau and line. can line ever have a resurgence and better health. And then um, the, the, the second overall pick what was uh, Fantilli or something like that. So, I mean, obviously, you know, he'd be, he'd be a good addition too. Um, so yeah, I'll, it'll be interesting to, to see. Um, I I also think the Sharks are going to be dead last. Their team is brutal. 
I, I thought Mark Edward Velasic retired 10 years ago. I don't know how he's still like their number one defenseman. <laughs> I don't get it. He was like their fourth, he was like their third defenseman when they were nasty, like 0809. Now he's the number one defenseman in 2023. <laughs> I, I just don't get what's going on there. So, um, yeah, the Sharks are going to be pretty tough. Um, you know, as, as for my conference, my conference picks, you know, Scott, I really liked yours. Um, in, in the spirit of not just choosing yours, um, I elected to go a different route. And I have the Devils winning the East and the Stars winning the West. And uh, I have the Stars winning the winning the Cup. I think they got a great combo of of uh, grit, skill, youth, star power, pun intended, and of course, you know, veteran leadership. So, and then the the Devils. I think I think there's a lot to be des- not a lot, but there's left to be desired on their back end. But especially compared to like the Hurricanes. But I, as we've known, oftentimes, most of the time, when you pick the the team that's supposed to win, they don't. So I feel like the Hurricanes will just find a way to lose more so than the Devils finding a way to win. But I do think that, you know, obviously Jack Hughes is a, a star on the rise. He's well, not on the rise. He's there. Um, he's just going to get better and better. I like Andre Pilat there. I like, you know, Nico Hishier and, and Dawson Mercer. And, um, you know, they just got, you know, good depth all the way around. Luke Hughes in the back end. Let's see what he does for a first full year. So, um, as I said, Scott, I liked your picks for the conference. Um champions and the, and, the, and the cup champion but to change it up i just went with the stars and uh and devils and the stars winning it yeah so i'll i'll give my picks now but yeah i have hurricanes winning the east oilers winning the west hurricanes winning the cup i just look at that hurricanes team and it's like obviously they've been building for a while they've been consistently good they've just never put it, put it over the finish line I look at this team and I'm like, if it's not going to be this year, then like, when would it ever be? They already had one of the best defenses in the NHL. And then they went out and signed Dmitry Orlov. Uh, they have Andre Svechnikov healthy again up front after, you know, obviously they lost him down the stretch last year. And that was a pretty devastating injury. Um, they went out and added Michael Bunting, who brings, uh, you know, some nastiness, some prickliness that, I think that team was was lacking a little bit. You know, obviously Svechnikov's physical, but Bunting kind of he helps like change the attitude a little bit and he'll probably he'll do something dumb at some point. We saw that in Toronto. But, you know, I I think having a guy like that, because he's also a good player, uh, can help that lineup. They're still just really deep, just all around. And I feel like, you know, I just think they're the best team on paper. Um their goaltending, they don't they don't have like a clear stud, but between Freddie Anderson, Ani Rana, the kid Piotr Kachekov, like I think they can piece it together enough there. And um as for Edmonton, I sort of feel the same way about like if not now, when? Like you still have the extremely high in talent up front. They added Connor Brown, who's you know coming off a, a an injury season, but could be a real nice addition. You have a full season of Matias Ekholm on the back end now. You know, they've finally actually put together a pretty solid decor. Uh, Stuart Skinner was good in net for them last year. So, you know, I think Vegas, there could be a little bit of a cup hangover. You know, they haven't, you know, Mark Stone's banged up again already. They lost Riley Smith. Colorado, I'm still not sure about their depth, although I think they'll be very good. I do like Dallas a lot. That's a solid pick. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with Edmonton in the West. 
And I was going to say, Brian, I know you have a hard out like in two minutes. Is there anything that you wanted to get out there before I get mine? I'll let you let you go um, and then hop off for your call. Yeah, no, I'm 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 good, Bridget. You take it away. I've said everything I need to say, and I, I do want to hear what you have to say. And if I have to drop off, I'll drop off. Okay, well, I'm not going to like there's nothing groundbreaking with what I'm about to say because I hate predicting Stanley Cup winners. It is impossible. I don't even know why we go through the motions and the exercise you, of doing it. you do it. a hockey podcast and it's okay, required. But listen, I'm not a gambler because I cannot see the future. And the NHL is so hard to predict that um, I will give you my on paper, um, but it just doesn't translate like that, right? So Carolina on paper should be incredible this year. Um, you do not want to run into them in the first round. You do not want to be a wild card team and face them uh, because I think you're in trouble. But we've seen what happened with the Bruins. People were saying that about them last year. Um, on paper, they were the best team, and they didn't go very far. I really do like the talent on Carolina. I think they got a little bit of everything, like you were saying, Scott, grit, um, skill, guys that will push you off the puck. They got it all going on. Um, but I still, for some reason, I cannot pick them to win the cup. Um, like, you, I don't know what it is, but I just can't. Are you about to pick Columbus for Chicago? <laughs> the finals? Is, that what, is that what I'm hearing? You nailed it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go with, uh, and see, here's the thing. Like, I feel like Colorado might have another good season this year. I don't think Vegas is going back to back. Um, and so I guess I'll go with Colorado, but I do not feel super strongly about these predictions at all because uh, I think maybe Bruins fans in general after last year know what I'm talking about. And uh, we've all been burned before, so it's hard for me to choose. Well, if, if, you, if Colorado ends up winning, I'm giving you zero credit because there was there's no conviction in that pick. No, there, there wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm be I mean, I would be honest here. I you don't know neither do I. So no, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hold I'm gonna remember that. I'm gonna Still give you no credit. Just, Whereas if if Carolina in or or Dallas wins, me me or Brian get you know we'll have to figure out some sort of celebration to what, <clears throat> one team that nobody picked was the Bruins. So of course though, this might be the year where. They actually surprise everybody when there's no expectations. I was, was going to say, I, I did. It. Yeah. I did pick them last year and feel at least somewhat responsible for, for cursing them. So couldn't, couldn't do it again. The curse of the Bambino and the Billy Goat curse and the McLaughlin curse. Those are the three biggest curses in sports. Um, uh, did either of you have any other takeaways before I have to get out of here? <laughs> Xerxes. I thought he had a takeaway, but he said he bit me. <laughs> I thought he was going to have a better cup pick than you. I thought so too. I don't know. No, I think we're good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> all right. Well, if that's the case, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you very soon. Hey, guys, thanks for watching the Skate Podcast. If you want to see more of our videos, visit our playlist. Not in front of a screen. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on social media. And if you enjoyed this video, please don't forget to give us a thumbs up, subscribe to our channel, and leave a comment.